Good morning and welcome to the Skinny, which airs here, Fridays here on WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM from 11 a.m. to noon. The voice you're hearing is me, Ray Roa, editor-in-chief at Creative Loafing Tampa Bay. I'm joined by my co-host, Ben Montgomery, who is here in studio with us. Hello, Ben. Hey, Ray. Um, obviously, Mitch usually opens this show. Um, but uh, Mitch, a Florida Phoenix reporter, um, he's letting us drive the bus today because he's in Tallahassee uh, for this uh, 60-day legislative session. He'll be back in studio April 7th. He may be able to join us uh, via Zoom on the March 31st episode, depending on the schedule at the Capitol, where there's a lot um, going on. We're going to talk a little bit about that. In the second half of the show, Ben and I will be joined by Carlton Ward Jr., a native of Tampa Bay and National Geographic photographer who is central uh, in a new amazing film called Path of the Panther, which is in theaters now, screening at Lakeland Spoke Theater this weekend, where Ward will do um, a Q&A. And um, in, in typical Mitch style, Mitch uh, usually kicks the show off, Ben, with news out of Tallahassee, and some news broke late yesterday uh, when a federal appeals court uh, kept on hold a controversial Florida law that restricts the way race-related concepts can be taught. So basically, Florida's Stop Woke Act is on hold. So uh, a quick brief from the news service of Florida. Um, attorneys for the state went to the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, Judge Mark Waller in November issued a preliminary injunction against the law, finding that it violated First Amendment rights. So the state had asked this Atlanta-based appeals court for stay of, of the injunction. Uh, basically, it would have allowed the law's restrictions to be in effect while the legal battle played out. But uh, this week, a three-judge panel on the appeals court issued a two-graph order uh, denying the stay. Um, the appeals court did not explain its decision in the past. Um, Judge Walker described the law as positively um, dystopian. If you're not familiar with it, I've always been impressed with uh, Republicans' uh, ability and legislators' ability to come up with cool acronyms. Um, so it's Stop Wrongs to Our Kids and Employees Act, so Stop Woke. Um, basically, it's a list of series of race-related concepts um, that would constitute discrimination if students are uh, subjected to instruction that, quote-unquote, espouses, promotes, advances, uh, inculates, or compels them to believe the concepts. Um, so that happened. And just to address the elephant in the room and stay on this DEI thing, uh, we're in a unique position today, Ben, because uh, news about Florida's approach to DEI has connections to um, our community this week, uh, spread across the country and still doing that, um, especially in journalism circles. And that news is that on Monday, uh, you were fired from, from Axios. Yes, sir. I was. Monday night. Yeah, so Monday night... Um, you were actually playing a, a Godzilla pinball machine, you told me, because you had traveled to Savannah uh, to spend some time with your girlfriend on her birthday. And, uh, you had racked up 41 million points. I think it was 41 million. I, I asked her the other day if she remembered uh, because, you know, you have a, a capacity to forget those small details. But I think it was like 41 and a half million. It was a great run. At one point, I was playing six balls. And uh, have you ever felt like you were in the zone? It looked like I was just playing one ball, but six of them were on the... <laughs> it's like the Matrix Amazing. of Godzilla pinball. Yeah. And so correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm going to try to quickly recap what happened here. So all of this happened pretty quickly, and it started <clears throat> Monday around 2 p.m., right, when Florida's Department of Education sent an email to its entire press list. I got it. I'm sure they got it here at the station about how uh, the governor held a roundtable, quote-unquote, exposing the diversity, equity, and inclusion scam in higher education. Um, we'll get into that, what was in that email in a second, but uh, you read the email and uh, replied 
uh, this was it, and we know because we'll talk about that later. Your quote, your reply was, "This is propaganda, um, not a press release." And and within an hour, um, DeSantis's communication director for the Department of Education, um, Alex Lanfranconi, posted a screenshot of your reply on Twitter. Um, I, I looked at that tweet this morning. It has more than two million impressions. Um, and you know, you mentioned you know you were in it. Like, can you talk about how things unfolded for you in between your email? And, and Wednesday when you finally spoke to me on record about you being fired? Yeah. Is it okay if I start by sort of explaining the, the, the email? Uh, just 100%. a little bit was behind that? Because yeah. I, don't, I don't know if I've already I think there's a lot of listeners really who may well. have just heard this the first time now too. Yeah. So uh, I write a daily newsletter and that involves about 900 words. Uh, and when I say, hi, that's not true. Uh, I write it with Celine Sanfelice, uh, my incredibly talented uh, partner for the past two years plus, um, and we write a uh, a newsletter uh, about nine hundred words five days a week for two years. It's been five days a week. Uh, we learned recently it'd be seven days, and then eight sends, eight different sends. I thought uh, I missed per- work on Saturday when I saw Axios uh, email in my yeah. inbox on Saturday. Yeah, so my days tend to be pretty busy. I'm writing, you know, I'm writing a lot every day. Besides that, keeping track of a lot of stuff, and also. Uh, reading a lot of email, right? This is what we do. Uh, this is how we communicate. If you're in the news business, a lot of times, and so the email just comes in and has a tendency to fill up your stuff. I try to give uh, the uh, uh, press agents, especially for the you know, arms of the government, uh, the benefit of the doubt and give them at least a little bit of my attention so that I can see if they have anything interesting to share. And, um, and I feel like uh, that's a, a debt of service to my readers. It's part of why I get paid to do this job, to filter. And uh, occasionally we get stuff that we just let slide right by, it has no news value, nothing to do with us. Uh, occasionally you, 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 know, you get something and you respond to it. And this is, this is what I did. This happens. It's not certainly not the first time that I responded in sort of a quick, uh, flippant way. I never thought it would blow up like this. I, I didn't think it would be a, a, a big deal, but, uh, people have asked like, why, and how do you know how you compose an email? I didn't uh, necessarily really think about it, but I wanted to send them a message that this wasted my time. Like, you're getting paid by the taxpayers of Florida, $120,000, some of them, six figures, uh, these press agents. Their job is to help the press to distribute information. And there was no useful information in this quote unquote press release that they sent. And so I let them know as a, as a piece of criticism in seven words, this isn't a press release. Uh, this is propaganda. I should have said, probably you've wasted my time. Like, why send this out if we're not going to be able to use it at all? Um, and smart so brevity that, bit you in the ass. Smart, yeah, smart brevity got me. Uh, I think, well, somebody said, look, if you had taken that email and written a story about how it was propaganda and then put that in the newsletter, that probably wouldn't have been a big deal. But because I sent this, uh, you know, personal email um, that was the, uh, and then, and then it got, bro- you know, broadcast. And by the way, shit, it has 2 million views now. I think when I looked at it Tuesday morning, early, when I woke up, uh, after I had been fired, it had 84 retweets. So this was like yeah. small potatoes, you know, it felt big Monday, I'm sure for Axios and for people who were like watching it, but it was not a big deal to me. In fact, do you know Jacob Reyes, who uh, is a Hillsborough County Community College student and now works at PolitiFact? I do. He was in line for an uh, internship at Creative Loafing, and he, he went with you guys instead. That's right. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. worked at Axios for it a It worked out bit. for him. 
and he transferred over to PolitiFact uh, about a year ago, but he's been through the ringer like this. This has become, uh, uh, you know, the Department of Education has become completely politicized. The Department of Health is is now politicized. Um, uh, you know, uh, so so it's the, it's the spreading of campaign, right? Political campaigns. So now you have two branches of government and the press agents who work for those branches of government who are involved in political campaigns and campaigning for Governor Ron DeSantis. And it's my job as a journalist, and I'll, I'll, I'll you know, die on this hill, I guess. It's my job as a journalist to just call BS when I see that. And that's what I did. And I'll take whatever comes. It's not a... Um, you know, I told you before, it's not the first time I've been right. in one of these storms. Not the first time I've been fired. It heals my heart when I hear people like Jacob, who, by the way, is a young a young guy, 21 years old. He's getting run down by this because, because he, he was fact checking the book, <clears throat> fact checking the book, and he does this uh, he does this every day. This is his work, and he's got to deal with these people who view their jobs as being adversarial adversaries to the press. They're the we're their enemies. We are all lefty liberal activists who are trying to, you know, get Ron DeSantis out of, out of office. This is what they believe. And so right. they don't um, they don't they're not helpful and at worst they're very hurtful and they cost people their, you know, their livelihood sometimes. Yeah, for you. I mean you don't you're out of a job. And if you're just joining us, this is the skinny on WMNF Tampa. I'm Ray Rowe of Creative Loafing Tampa Bay, joined by my co-host Ben Montgomery, who you've heard talk there, formerly of Axios. We normally talk about the news of the week, but this week Ben found and himself we, in, and we will. And we will uh, in, in, in headlines when he was left, uh, he was let go after telling the Florida Department of Education that a press release about DEI, the scam of DEI, was propagated and not a press release. So we should talk a little bit about press releases. And, and um, we'll invite you guys to call in to 813-239-9663 if you want to comment um, on this. So press releases and the particular release the state went out and how government agencies, you touched on this, have traditionally treated communication with press. So I, th- I think at first we should read the definition of propaganda, right? Information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view. Um, that press release uh, that you responded to included quotes from the governor, um, Manny Diaz Jr., the Commissioner of Education, Ray Rodriguez, Chancellor at FSU, Carrie Sheffield, uh, a senior fellow at the Independent Women's Forum, and Chris Rufo, a conservative activist who was appointed by the governor uh, to the new College Board of Trustees. There's also a report from the Center for the American Way of Life, which on its website has a BLM funding database, right? And, and I'm just going to kind of run through some quick bits of quotes from that release. Um, In Florida, we are not going back down to the woke mob, and we will expose the scams they're trying to push onto students across the country. Another quote, DEI divides students and at its very core is the antithesis of its so-called mission. Another one. And by the way, just let me say diversity, equity, and inclusion divides people? Is divisive? Like, I mean, it's just troublesome it's It'll leave your head spinning. Yeah, I, I, you know, a friend of mine said the other day that, you know, somehow this, some certain people have hijacked the word woke, and it's sort of become a new N word, and half of the country is using it, and they have no idea what it means. Yes, and this is what's happening with DEI, right? Like, let's not beat around the bush. Uh, it's the it's the framed intentional intent to disrupt an idea that is useful to us all and has been for a long time that no one objected to until 
two years ago. Well, until it became something politically that you could talk about to keep people's minds off of inflation and insurance rates and things like that. So just going through a quote like this, and this is a little bit about our jobs. You alluded to it. You read something like that. My heart starts to race because it's a fact-checking nightmare, right? Um, if you search DeSantis and diversity on PolitiFact, talked about it, a nonpartisan website that checks claims from politicians and public figures, uh, you get 541 fact checks, 249 articles. If you trim it down to DeSantis DEI, you get 177 fact checks, 106 articles. So that's a lot of information and misinformation to wade through. And that's the reporters who've already done it. Yeah. Right. So um, you kind of alluded to it. You know, our job as a reporter is when you get a press release, is to say, what is this? Is it worthy of my reader's time? And how do I um, respond? And I, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, what's different about the DeSantis' administration's approach to press releases and using his microphone to share that. So, um, And also, a big thing of this is, I think you got fired because of the screenshot, right? In part, because that thing, quote unquote, was taken off for being seen by people. And you know, this is kind of insider, but there's so much in my text messages and emails that never makes it to a story. And and I wanted to ask some people, how different was Lan Franconi's action? Was it normal discourse between comms people and journalists? So I reached out to two people who objectively I butt heads with on a regular basis. Ashley Bauman, mm. uh, former spokesperson for the uh, both the last two mayors, um, and Adam Smith, the current comms uh, director for Mayor Jane Kasher. And I said, hey, was is screenshotting... A response like that and posting on Twitter normal behavior. And, and Ashley Bowden said, never would I ever do that. Yeah. Uh, we can disagree, but I try not to burn bridges. And Adam Smith, who, I mean, Adam Smith and I have had at, at it with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't agree on many things, you know? He says, I butt heads with people all the time, but I would never do that. And in your experience, had you experienced something like that? Before? No, no, no. Uh, you know, and I covered the, the for heaven's sakes, the Dozier School for Boys for uh, 10 years. Um, uh, you know, I'm fondly remembering uh, a long-running relationship with a gentleman named Frank Pinella, who was the spokesman for the Department of Juvenile Justice in 2008, you know, through through 2012 or something. And this is a guy that I dealt with on a regular basis. I'm trying to get information to unsurface these secrets of the, pact, the past and so on and so forth. And we went at it. We Every day we were going at it. And so uh, it became... Um, it became a relationship and that's what you develop, right? Like a good working relationship because ultimately these are public servants. My taxes are paying their salary, right? All of our taxes are, so they should be serving the public and not, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think they should be political operatives. It doesn't do anybody any good. Now, lots of press releases we get are political in nature, right? Correct. Uh, yeah, but they're not, they don't come from, organiza- from branches of government that should be apolitical like the Board of Education. All right, right on. I'm going to ask you a few more questions, but let's get some calls here. Bob's been waiting here, wants to comment on your situation. Bob, you're on the air at WMNF. Good morning, Ben. Uh, my name's Bob, and I, uh, I think you're going to land in a much better place. So, Thanks, Bob. Uh, Appreciate it. Yeah, keep, keep your chin up, man. Yes, sir. Um, look, I expect this sort of thing from the current administration, but I, I can't help but think the real villain here is Axios. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask a question. I'll take take the answer off the air, but... Did you ever, could you ever see this happening with Axios, which, you know, I would suspect is, you know, if we've got you, if they hired you, they're a reputable journalistic outlet, journalist outlet. Yeah. But one, did you ever see it coming? 
two, how can we put the hurt on Axios for doing this? And the final question I'll ask is, is the press community and um, some of the organizations that you're probably a member of, are they going to stand up for you and make this a bigger deal um, than just one man getting fired in Florida? Thanks, Bob. I'll take, uh, yeah, I'll take the answers off there. Both great questions, Bob, and I appreciate the chance to ask to answer, especially the first one. I could, I, I did not imagine it. Really caught me off guard. Uh, you know, my I've worked for five different newspapers: West Texas, Upstate New York, a couple in Florida. Um, I uh, I never would have thought this would have happened when the when the when Jacob Reyes, my dear young friend from the uh, Politifact, uh, texted me uh, uh, a link to the tweet, and some of the it had already sort of started generating some buzz. I, I texted him back, eh, and this was like mid-afternoon on Monday. I thought it was just going to pass right over. Uh, it didn't. I didn't, um, you know, I started wondering after the fact, like, did I do something else wrong? And I remember blowing up at the end of last year uh, about sort of an, you know, this is inside baseball, but like extra work that we'd been given, and um, but not in any way that would have been uh, out of the ordinary uh, so, and that's the reason they gave me, uh, that's what I got to work with. So I feel like this, this was a bad move. I feel like it was a move that was made in a silo. I've not reported this out. I have no idea. You have to ask Axios this, but I feel they have not answered this, by the way. I feel like it was a made uh, move that was made by a couple of people in, in a very pressure filled situation. These are pressure filled situations when you're representing a brand yes. new, uh, media company that's still building. By the way, I, I, Two years of my life I spent trying to build this thing. I, I care about it deeply, still do. I got half the staff hired or helped get half the staff hired because they're friends of mine. Um, they're, still, they're still there. They're working journalists, good, solid working journalists. They need jobs. Uh, do not cancel your, you know, your Axios subscriptions. Um, but this decision was made uh, by a couple of people and stand, it seems like the folks above them, the founders who hired me, two and a half years ago, before they hired the people who fired me, they're not, you know, they're standing behind uh, uh, this decision. And, and so be it, that's their, that's their, uh, that's their, that's, you know, they have that, that option, obviously. I, I don't, I haven't asked for this job back, don't want the job back. But um, I will say the, the journalism community has been overwhelmingly in support and uh, it's been kind and caring and also challenging. Like my, my you know, dear friend called me yesterday to say, hold on one second, um, this was a dumb email to send. Like, you know, this has no journalistic merit. Why would you send this? And I appreciate being challenged in that in that fashion. I said, you know, it was kind of a dumb email. I don't know if, you know, uh, I probably should have been more clear when I when I sent this uh, this criticism, but I'm open to that criticism. Open open to the storm here. Obviously, open to media accountability. I lost my job. I'll find another one. Um, I don't think I don't buy the notion that journalists aren't activists. I think that every single one of them got, uh, one of us got into the business because we care about making this world a better place. And doesn't that make us all activists? Right? Yeah, and, and to be fair, you talked talk about Axios. Uh, your editor, uh, Jamie Stockwell, did not respond to a request from comment from me. Instead, of you, if, a spokesperson, Axios editor in chief, um, basically said, "If we're said, not you activists, we're stenographers." Exactly. And uh, so we have some emails coming in here. David Bryant says he's very disappointed uh, for Axios firing Ben um, and has uh, some words to say about the DeSantis uh, press release. Uh, interesting something here. Um, somebody wants to know if you could speak about Christina Prashaw. She is a particularly uh, 
Nah. Well, sorry. I, by the way, I, I just say, should say I have no, uh, uh, I have not a lot of dealings with the with the pre, with the uh, the Tallahassee uh, press agents. I write fluff, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, I mean, I, mean, I, mean, I do. Your last story for Axios yeah. was about the throwback menu at at, uh, at Outback Steakhouse. Austin, I was reading Austin about the ribs. Twisted ribs are phenomenal, uh, and that Wallaboo pasta or whatever it has pretty good. But listen. Uh, I, it's not like I'm dealing with these folks on a regular basis. So I have nothing to say. I just watch them do this to my colleagues and it's unfair. This is a different environment. This is like um, trying to sink someone when you're a public servant on the public dole. I don't understand how those two things are allowed to happen. Um, yeah. You know, there was a day when the public servant, when I got here in 2005, I was like, wow, the public information officers help reporters. This is how it's supposed to work. It is great to get a good PIO. John's been waiting patiently out of Newport, at Port Ritchie. Let's have John on the air. John, you're on the air here at MNF Tampa. Hey, thanks for the show. Uh, first of all, I was just thinking, I wish all conservative uh, media had the same standards as uh, Axios there when regarding the tweets that they're quote, journalists put out, unquote. Hmm. But something I would like to see reporters do is ask these politicians what they mean by woke, because they use these words that that stir up emotions that <clears throat> there's really no defined thing that they have for it. I saw a piece on the on the internet where the one reporter asked, I think it was a CNN reporter asked this lady that, and she's just like, ah, I, I, I don't know what it is. But I'd like to ask them what, in their opinion, is woke? What is diversity, equity, and inclusion training to them. What is CRT? What is it that that, that that word means to them, and what do they have against those things? Like, why are they against diversity training in places of work or where other people gather where there is a diverse population? Why is that a bad thing to them? I, I would like to hear it in their own words and not just them use what the Republicans are really good at as marketing. They come up with good words like woke, that they can use to instill fear and hate amongst their listeners without really having any great definition. It's kind of like when they say they're anti, we're, we're against Antifa. It's like, well, the Antifa is against fascism. So does that mean you're pro-fascism because you're against the people who are against fascism? Which Thank people don't re realize that or rationalize that in their mind. It, it, it does have so, Thanks for the much, call, John. so much to do with messaging, right, Ray? Yeah, I mean, it does, and the words you use are, are, are really important, you know, and uh, you had an interesting and, and, uh, conversation with Tom Jones yesterday, and, and by the way, Carlton Ward Jr. has joined us here. We're going to talk about Path of the Panther in the second half of the show, so kind of talk about what you talked about with Tom Jones, and um, he suggested that there was a lot that we might not know about your firing, and you've mentioned, you know, your push for a better work-life balance, not having to do... Um, newsletters in advance before you go on vacation and maybe that was part of it um can you talk about anything that might be being left out of news stories and, and could you reiterate um how much you know celine is still working really hard to put that out that that newsletter yeah so far as i know celine's working her tail off it's just uh, just her and and uh well, i don't know who, who else is helping with it but um She's a great journalist and uh, was a great partner to have on uh, on on the team for the past couple of years, and we got to know each other really well and butted heads a lot, like you you do with your uh, partner. I have tried to think of why, and I don't know. I, I I do not think, just to be clear to all the people who might suspect this, I don't think you know someone from the DeSantis administration put pressure on Axios to. Uh, fire me. I don't think that phone call was ever made. I don't think there was an email ever sent. I think it was the 
It was a tweet. Exposure of this tweet and the sort of the pressure that someone who is in Arlington, Virginia, who's not familiar with uh, what it's like to be a reporter on the ground in the Tampa Bay area, might have felt like that was a blemish on the record of on my on my. And this is, this is what I was told by on my. This is so tarnished my journalistic reputation in the Tampa Bay area that I can't. Uh, you know, they're fired from Axios. So she just, I, I, this person just didn't know, you know, I, I don't think, she, well, I'd never met her in person. She right. didn't know me. Well, um, you ruined all your credibility, Ben. It seems so, yeah. <laughs> I'm having a hard time. Um, yeah, well, thanks for talking with us about that. You mentioned being on the ground here. And, um, you know, lest anybody think that I'm completely, we're completely cynical and what we do is propaganda too. I once saw Ron DeSantis do something really, really cool. And um, he signed the Florida Wildlife Corridor Act in July 2021. Um, our guest here saw that happen. I watched it happen in a movie and it really moved me uh, in a big way because of the lead up um, to that scene. Joining us in the studio here at WMNF Tampa is Carlton Ward, National Geographic uh, nature photographer and second only to the big cat itself in that movie, Path of the Panther, uh, which is in theaters now. Welcome to WMNF, Carlton. Thank you so much for making time for us. Glad to be here. And wow, hey, Ben, a lot's happened in the past few days. <laughs> I've, I've been in the field photographing properties that our state government's been protecting, and I thought you were the lead journalist at Axios in Tampa. And, Welcome um, back, Carlton. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> Yeah, see, that might be a shock for Carlton. So I romanticize Carlton now because I've watched the movie several times at my house with my son. And, uh, you know, he's out in the, floor, in, in the wild and, and he's wading through this water. And I think there's an alligator there. And, but he's super cleaned up, guys. Uh, looks super sharp. And you got, and Ben and Carlton actually talked to each other a few times because there was a big um, opening last month at Tampa Theater. And this weekend, uh, the, the Lakeland's Poke Theater um, on Saturday, um, 7.30, you'll be there, um, Carlton. It's going to show three screenings all together, uh, but you'll be there. Um, Eric Bendick will be there for a panel, and we can't talk about um, prices on the air here at this nonprofit station, but uh, you can check out Carlton Ward on Instagram for more info, and uh, pokeTheater.org has more info. So you mentioned you just came from somewhere, and where did you just drive off of Carlton, and, and how were you able to make time for us today? This morning, I was photographing a ranch um, near the Mayaka River headwaters, just east of Bradenton, east of Sarasota, and it's one of the properties that will hopefully soon be protected in the Florida Wildlife Corridor. Last week, there was 20,000 acres, some 40 or $50 million of new land acquisition approved at the cabinet meeting that happened earlier in March. And there's another cabinet meeting scheduled in May, and there'll be more beyond that. And we're seeing the investment in the Florida Wildlife Corridor subsequent to the Florida Wildlife Corridor Act like leading to real tangible conservation on the ground. So I'm working with my team and colleagues to photograph and celebrate the progress as it happens. In the movie, you can feel the length of the time that you're out in the field trying to find, um, you know, too long, don't read. Carlton's out in the movie trying to capture images of the Florida Panther to persuade uh, folks, regular folks like myself, you know, everybody down to your next door neighbor to protect uh, these wildlands, to give the big cat a chance to reclaim its habitat all the way up through the south. Um, and you can feel the length of it. And then you kind of feel a catharsis at the end. What's the feedback been like for you after that Tampa Theater release? And you were kind of off the grid for a little bit. How much did you think about the movie and, and the reaction to the movie while you were out there working? It's a huge moment right now. I mean, our, our team at Wild Path and the Path of the Panther Project and our partners at Grizzly Creek Films worked for years to capture these pictures. And, you know, the Florida Wildlife Corridor Project, which 
I helped found back in 2010 is the whole purpose of it all. And so there's this relatively hidden wild heart of our state that folks that live near me here in Tampa and others might not, might not have a connection to it's hidden in plain sight, but it's there and it's the lifeblood and support of many things, Florida, and it's, it needs our attention to be saved. And so we, we would, we've been advocating for why we need to protect a corridor through the state. I, I worked with local conservationist Mallory Likes Demet and a bear biologist Joe Guthrie, and we did expeditions through the state in 2012 and 2015 to show that we still have this wildlife corridor. There's there was science from the University of Florida and other places that had mapped out the best linkages and the best way to keep the land connected, um, and we were trying to bring attention. But around 2015, after the second big expedition... Um, I went to my editors at National Geographic wanting to do a story about the Florida Wildlife Corridor because that, that's what I'm fighting for. And they said, well, we might, we might not be interested in a story on the corridor itself, but we might be interested in a story about the Florida panther. And you could tell the story of the corridor through the panther. And, you know, that 15-minute conversation sent me on a five-year quest to get the pictures for a National Geographic magazine story. And that was the beginning but while we're, we were out there, like literally following the panther into this story, all sorts of things happened. We had the first female panther in 43 years show up north of the Cluzhatchee River. So I don't know how much time I have to explain this, but... We're here, we're here until noon, so you, know, okay. you mentioned yeah. the river. That was kind of like a threshold yeah. in the past. No, no breeding female had been seen that far north. And then in the movie, somebody pretty much pings the panther north of that river. Like, she crossed that river. So geographically, the Caloosahatchee runs from Lake Okeechobee to... Fort Myers. Fort Myers. Yeah, so I'll give a little bit of Panther 101 before I mean, I'm getting into the motivations for the film and such, but just, you know, the panther is the hook. It's the star of the show. Hopefully the Florida Wildlife Corridor ends up being the star of the show, but the panther takes us there. Hmm. So the Florida panther is a puma. It's practically the same animal as the mountain lion or the cougar. But it's the last puma living east of the Mississippi River. There are no other breeding populations of pumas in the eastern United States except for the southern tip of Florida. And they were kind of rediscovered to still be existing there in the 1960s, became one of the first animals on the endangered species list, celebrating its 50th year this year, um, a success story of the Endangered Species Act. There were as few as 20 panthers back in the 1970s, 1980s, suffering terrible um, genetic problems from inbreeding and so forth. Um, but through conservation efforts, through some genetic recovery, they brought in eight female Texas cougars, the closest geographic population in the 90s. They bred into the existing population. Previously, they had holes in their hearts and infertility and other problems, but some of the health issues kind of worked themselves out through that. And the numbers have come up to between 120 and 230 panthers today. But until the past couple of years, there have been no females north of that Caloosahatchee River, and that's been the barrier to the recovery north. Um, they used to be statewide. They used to be throughout the entire eastern United States, and panthers are just beginning to stage a comeback, and it's a race against time as to whether we can save enough land to keep that core population in the Everglades you know, reconnected to central Florida, north Florida, and beyond just so happens the Florida Wildlife Corridor is that literal lifeline for the panther. 
and, and to be considered recovered from their endangered status, the, the recovery plan calls for three populations of 240 more panthers distributed throughout Florida and the Southeast. So we're like one third of the way there, but it's not, it's never going to be off life support unless we have, unless it goes from being the South Florida panther to the Florida panther. And that's the moment we're facing right now. Hmm. Important moment. It's huge. There's yeah. so much to unpack in the movie. Ben, I know you talked to Carlton a lot. What are some things that are kind of living in your mind after uh, talking to him quite a few times for your Axios story and at Tampa Theater? Yeah, I wonder um, if uh, a couple of days after seeing the film for the second time, I started thinking about it as a film and I, I uh, sort of this, the elements of story. And I wondered if, um, if there ever surfaced like a true antagonist in, the, in this, have you guys talked about that? Um, I mean, is, or de- does development sort of generally stand as, uh, uh, you know, stand as, and isn't development sort of, sort of us, right? Like, are we the antagonists in? <laughs> yeah, I wish, I wish the director, Eric Bendick, was here yeah, to oh, talk yeah, about yeah. it because he really, he and his team did a, what I think is a pretty impressive job of weaving together six years of content into something that you could follow as a story. Yeah. Because, you know, not everything is in sequence and how it's happened. The, yeah. One of the culminating scenes was shot in January 2018, but it has to weave together. And, and I, was, I was, as I was talking about the background, <clears throat> you know, my journey into this, I was, I was advocating for the wildlife corridor. The panther emerged as the ultimate symbol of the wildlife corridor. I kind of knew enough that it was worth pursuing that. But as I started following into the panther story that's when all these other storylines popped up and it was like that first female north of the river and then that became the focus it wasn't just this core population and its ability to persevere in the everglades and now it's okay this is this is happening in real time panthers are moving back to the northern everglades and just when that first panther up there is breeding and has evidence of kittens we have the toll roads called mcores and a new toll road threatens to go straight through the habitat where she is just reclaiming territory. And the layers are even thicker. Like it, where the place that she set up her territory is Babcock Ranch State Preserve. Babs is the name of the panther. Yeah, the, yeah. the biologist Jen Corn named her Babs. And I mean, even that has a story in it. We didn't unpack it in the film, but Babcock Ranch was a conservation development hybrid project where 17,000 acres went into a developer. Half of that is being developed as a relatively high density community called Babcock Ranch. But in that deal, 75,000 acres with some public investment went to the state of Florida and then some more to the county. So 80,000 is saved. And the place where Bab set up her home range, you know, had that not been done a decade or more ago, the, the habitat might not have been there for her. So it's really... Really interesting. If you're just joining us here on WMNF Tampa, our guest in the studio is Carlton Ward, a National Geographic photographer um, whose work is at the center of Path of the Panther, a new movie that's in theaters right now. Um, last weekend, the movie opened at Tampa Theater. This weekend, there'll be three screenings at Lakeland's Polk Theater, including one on Saturday on 7.30, where afterwards Ward will be joined by Eric Bendick, who we talked about, um, for um, a Q&A uh, you talked about that moment where you saw the map. So watching the movie, you're holding your phone and you're seeing the map go through these lands. And it was, I think it was the first time you had seen the plan and you could almost feel your devastation. And it's just that moment where you're like, oh, something bad is really could happen here. But then there's that moment that I alluded to earlier where 
you know, DeSantis is seen signing the Wildlife Corridor Act in July 2021. And, you know, Republicans have always had an environmental side, especially um, in Florida. But I was struck by how the movie, you know, how much emotion was in that moment. And, and can you talk about your range of emotions and the work it took from that moment on your phone when you saw the plan for the expressway to cut through those wild lands um, and how you were able to persuade um, the state of Florida to shut those down and instead save those? I mean, it passed unanimously, 100% backing in the legislature. How did you do that? That was a team effort, but it, that was a galvanizing moment. Like that, that toll road coming through, and I, when I, the scene in the movie, I'm standing on some of my family's ranch property. You know, I have lots of cousins who are full-time ranchers in Hardy County and DeSoto County, and we still have a smaller family ranch in the town of Limestone. And the potential path of that road could have come within miles of, of our property. And, you know, as, a, as someone says during one of the scenes in the movie, like this area where they want to put the road is where you can still see the stars at night. It's, it's, the, it's the heart of wild Florida. And it really motivated me and the team. I mean, it was in 2006, the precursor to this called the Heartland Parkway that motivated me to go reserve the domain name Florida Wildlife Corridor because I, 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 I recognized that we connected to roads in our built infrastructure because that was our framework for the world. And we would put in a multi-year planning process and a study process and invest millions or billions of dollars in trying to do it right. Well, wildlife corridors, the other kind of infrastructure were absent from the conversation in 2006. And I'm like, this kind of road's going to come back um, and we need to have a balancing point to talk about how all of our infrastructure is going to fit together. And so when that toll road came through again, it's like, it's a now or never moment because if, if we don't officially recognize the Florida wildlife corridor through legislation now, it has little chance of surviving. And so we never actually, our, our team never came out anti-toll road. We came out pro wildlife corridor. There are other people who are talking about problems with the toll road, but we are focusing on the common ground of protecting these network of farms and ranches and public lands that could, you know, hold the state together. And if you do that first, then you can build roads and other things without doing the unintentional harm that comes from them. How, do you have a sense of how this project is regarded outside of Florida, both in the United States and then, and then outside of the U.S.? Is this, is this viewed as a successful, like a, a major success for the environment? Because the Everglades are ultimately incredibly important, right? I've heard them referred to as the Earth's kidneys and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think, um, well, I'm really excited about the moment with the film because we are just starting to tell this story to the world. Yeah. You know, we, we are focused on political action and conservation action here in Florida. With the Path of the Panther film, we get to tell the story of the Florida Wildlife Corridor and share it with the world. We certainly have partners um, around around the world and different organizations who who have seen this and there are great wildlife corridor models in other parts of the world too. But from a little bit of feedback I've seen, it, the film's been in film festivals. We are screening it virtually to an audience in India. And in the comments, someone's talking about, well, they have a very similar problem with a new road coming through and it's fragmenting the habitat for the elements, elephants and the tigers and they're working on corridors and connections. So I do believe we're, we're in a moment where the scientific community, the conservation community is recognizing that we need to save half the planet for nature by the year 2050 to have a balance of life on earth. And there's an intermediate goal called 30 by 30, 
where people are working to save 30% of oceans, 30% of land by the year 2030 to help stave off the biodiversity crisis and the climate crisis, a lot less of the earth is protected than what people think. I think it's about 15% terrestrial now that's actually protected. So there's a long, a long way to go. Um, Florida is kind of on the front end of that because, because of our legacy of conservation, a lot of it under Republican leadership, you know, local former governor, Bob Martinez started preservation 2000, which later become Florida forever. Jeb Bush, um, Charlie Crist as a, as a Republican, all were really strongly supportive of conservation. And as a result, Florida is 27% public land. Now, we have tremendous public land resources in this state, but the way they're distributed throughout Florida, if we don't protect the wildlife corridor, they will become islands surrounded by development. And that's what's happening. You're going to have places like Ocala National Forest surrounded by development, Everglades cut off from the rest of the state and country. But we also have vast agricultural lands. We have millions of acres of ranch lands and timberlands and groves and other farming that are the connective tissue that hold the green space together. And those are also, you know, targeted by development right now, thousand people a day moving here. And so that's, that is the front lines. And if we can save farming and ranching and help give landowners like the place I was photographing this morning, they want alternatives to development, financial alternatives to development. And if these conservation programs like Florida Forever, Rural and Family Lands Protection, federal programs can help give them resources to save their land for the future, we preserve their heritage and we also save the path for the panther. If you're just joining us, that's the voice of Carlton Ward, National Geographic photographer, um, whose work is the center of a movie, Path of the Panther, in theaters right now uh, with three screenings at Lakeland's Polk Theater this weekend, including one at 7.30 where Ward and uh, the director, Eric Bendick, will sit um, for a panel. Uh, ben and I were kind of talking about this because we were talking about journalism and activism. And I think Ben had a question about how you balance that because in a lot of ways how do you view yourself i yeah. wonder like are you do, you do you think of yourself truly as a photojournalist or I, I i'm a conservation photographer and so i i state my intention right from the beginning i but it's not that i a conservation photographer yes my my purpose of my work as a photographer as a journalist is to inspire appreciation of lands and cultures and inspire their protection that doesn't mean I'm biased. That doesn't mean that I don't use fair and balanced journalism. That's my. Well, you're biased because you want a future. Well, no, I mean that's my. Be- that's, <laughs> that's my. Be- appreciate the the future. Yeah. Yeah, but, but it's it's um, you know, that is my focal area of work. Yeah. But I do it at the highest levels of integrity for National Geographic magazine and others. But I choose to try to shine light on issues that relate to conservation, just like many other journalists try to elevate and shine light on issues related to social issues and other, um, other challenges humanity faces. Um, so yes, I'm an activist because I want people to see these things and care about them, but I'm doing it in a bipartisan common ground. You know, I'm not, I'm not partisan. I'm not political in it. I'm, but I am an activist. Right on. The movie is really emotional. At least it was for me um, when I was watching it. And in the beginning of the movie, you, you were like, oh, I might not ever get to take a photo of a panther with a camera in my hand. And then there's a scene in the movie where you're driving and you see, is it Babs that crosses you? Or is, it's a different mother panther. Um, she crosses and you start freaking out uh, because there's a panther. You have a camera in your hand 
and you're about to take pictures. Um, can you talk about that moment, what you saw afterwards? And then I'm curious about how you go from what I viewed was the high point of your life after that. How do you do anything even after that? Oh my gosh. No, that, that was crazy. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not the most emotive person typically, but I was like freaking out and pretty expressive in that time. And it, you look like, like a YouTube TikToker, man. You were losing no, I, it. I was losing it. Well, the, the crazy, it was, I was going back to service my camera traps. And so like mine, keep in mind that I've been chasing these things virtually for two years. I'm using tripwire cameras and motion sensors and have cameras out on these trails. I know that they're there, but I've never seen them. I'm driving back to one of these places. I'm actually on a phone call with the film director, Eric. And um, I'm like, I think there's a panther in the road. Or we had a, we had a scheduled conference call while I'm sitting here looking at this panther. I'm like, dude, I can't talk. I'm, there's, there's a panther <laughs> in the road. He's like, okay, okay. Uh, make sure you take horizontal video. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm like, Good director. Oh. well, so I flip my cell phone around and I'm like, videoing myself, explaining. And every time I lift the phone up to <laughs> video myself, the panther walks closer. And I like freak out and I put the phone down and I go to get my other camera. And then it sits down in the road up there and I, then I lift the cell phone up to you know, make sure Eric's happy and talk to the camera again. And then it starts walking closer again. And it, the, the, the panther actually walked by, I'd pull my car off to the side of the trail and it walked down this dirt road and sat down under some palms like, 20 yards out my window and was just sitting there staring at me. And, Amazing moment. And it was this like electric moment where I'm like looking into the eyes of this panther staring right back at me and it was just buzzing with connection to this, you know, wildest of species here in Florida that's still there and, my, and we're like 15 minutes from Naples, Florida. I mean, like we are like, but in this truly wild place. Um, so that was a gift and there's some other layers to that that people will see in the film and the kitten that came out and what that meant. But um, when I went to finish servicing my camera trap 15 minutes after that, it felt such like a empty and dry pursuit yeah. you know, compared to the moment of actually sharing time with the panther. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, it what was pretty cool. It, it was, like I said, the, the emotion of it. Um, if you're just joining us, our guest on the air right now is, is Carlton Ward Jr., a National Geographic conservation photographer um, whose work is at the core of Path of the Panther, a new movie that's in theaters right now. Um, it's screening at Lakeland's Polk Theater uh, three times this weekend, including one screening on Saturday at 730, uh, where Ward will be joined by the movie's writer, director, and producer, Eric Bendick, for a panel. Leonardo DiCaprio, by the way, a co-producer Ex on this. Executive producer, yeah. And if you want to call in, listeners can call 813-239-9663 if you have any questions in our last eight minutes for Carlton. Why uh, Why did you get started on this, by the way? Uh, I don't think we told your sort of origin story for this yeah, project. Yeah, because you're like on. fourth or fifth generation. <clears throat> by the way, I should say, I saw you walk into the St. Pete Times, probably 2010, maybe. Uh, were you friends with Bill Durier? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I, we did I, some things together. This is a wild memory, but I remember you coming into the St. Pete Times and having a meeting with Bill Durier. And as you're walking out, I thought, who is that fellow? Because he looks like a leader. And this is, it was like, a, it was a, but that was back in, that was way back in the very beginning. So what, what was your, like, how, what got you started? And what was the first mission of uh, this whole, whole deal? The expeditions? Well, I have to be compressed about it, but I, you know, <laughs> I studied. Um, ecology and biology in school, but then I had a chance to do some photojournalism in combination with an ecology degree in graduate school. And I interned with the then St. Petersburg Times as a photojournalism intern and 
Then I interned with the Smithsonian in DC, did two or three internships with them, finally got a chance to go to Central Africa, work on a biodiversity conservation project. And But the template for my career from that point has been teaming up with scientists to use photography to elevate those issues for conservation. But three years into working pretty pretty um, consistently in Central Africa. I'd fly back and forth from, be gone for three months at a time. I'd come home, there'd be a new subdivision on what used to be a cattle ranch. And I started to feel this pull back towards home because there are a hundred journalists who would take my place to work in Africa with the Smithsonian, but not enough storytelling focused on what was being lost in my own backyard. So I, I started looking at Florida cattle ranches. That was, that was the kind of origin story of my Florida conservation work was photographing these ranches that at the time represented 6 million acres of the state, but absent from the state's identity. And that led to the story of the Florida black bear and introduced me to the people in the wildlife corridors and the ecological greenways network. And that led to starting the Florida wildlife corridor project as a public awareness campaign. And then the Panther was is like the latest chapter in that story. You use a lot of tech, by the way, in in, uh, in what you do. I've seen you with drones. Obviously, camera traps are, are, are sort of you know, what you're known for. Um, this uh, this wouldn't have gone down the same way 20 years ago, right? Before this technology existed. This opens the door for us to see interior Florida in a way that we've not. Am I right? Yes. I mean, I used camera traps 20 years ago, but it was a... 36 exposure film roll that wouldn't oh, give you a very oh long glimpse into what was happening. Um, to be able to bring 4K cinema quality video into a camera trap, that's that's kind of a world first for the Florida Panther and what this film gives people a chance to experience the Panther. You know, scientists had um, infrared game cameras and other things where we'd seen video of them going by like ghost-like at night, but to be able to like really see the texture and detail of these animals in their own space, doing their own thing, it's really exciting to be able to share that with the world. Mm. Yeah, don't feel like you have to be too contense. We still have like uh, five minutes here. I want to give you a chance, you know, like you said, you feel like you're just at the beginning of telling this story, but you talk to a lot of people or maybe to us, it feels like a lot of people, what do you really want to get out there as far as the message and anybody who's curious about the film, uh, curious about checking, is it going to be on streaming soon? Yeah. Uh, things like that. Well, I really want people to come see it in theaters while it's still in Florida theaters. So go to pathofthepanther.com and there's a link to all the theaters that are still carrying the film. There's a handful, maybe a dozen around the state that are still carrying it, including the Polk Theater here in Lakeland. And I'm going to be there tomorrow night with the director. It's a beautiful old theater in Lakeland and I would love for people to come see it because to see it together as Floridians to celebrate our Florida, it's it's really exciting and rewarding. Especially in a great city like Lakeland. Yeah, yeah at ben, that theater. I mean And Ben, you were there at the Tampa Theater. I mean, I you know, I thought I thought audiences really connected with the story and that was really inspiring. I watched it in my bedroom sure and I felt like I was like changed in a way. Like I felt I knew about the Florida Wildlife Corridor, but seeing your attachment to it, your commitment to it, and then the footage as you mentioned seeing alligators walk by, you're seeing animals. My kid's freaking out. I have a three-year-old and your kids are in it too. And, and you tell them, hey, do you want to see dad's article? Um, and the thing, can you talk about what your kids are saying about you? Because they know that this is your dream, right? And they and sat they, through both screenings that I was at, I think. I, I yeah. Sat no, they're pretty proud of it, but it's, you know, it's a big sacrifice for them too. Cause I was, mm -hmm. I was gone a lot. And my wife, Susie is a hero, mm -hmm. you know, who, who made this possible. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can. Um, you hear that, Susie? You're a hero. Yeah, I was talking with a photographer today for our paper, and you know, there's that battle. You know, what, what am I going to do? And, and clearly, you know, it's an it's an it's an emotional thing. Um, I'm always fascinated by people like you. Ben said he saw you, and he's like, "Who is that fellow? He's a leader." This I, is why. Uh, let me just commentary here. Uh, uh, this this is why Carlton is successful because he's an honest dealer, and you can see it in his eyes. Yeah, I mean, you're not in the studio right now, but it is. And, uh, and, and, and God, that goes a long way. You yeah. know, when you treat people right and, and, and tell them the truth and deal with them honestly, it goes a long way. And that's what I've always appreciated about you. I've known you that long, but I could see it from, uh, from early on. Yeah, this is the first time we've met um, in, in person. And I saw you in front of Tampa Theater. I was having dinner with my son and I almost walked over like fanboy, but I'm happy to be here. Fascinated. What do you dream about at night? You know how like when people have work and they get obsessed with things. Oftentimes you dream about it at night. What do you, do you dream about, He's asking, Carlton? do you see panthers at night? <laughs> I dream about falling asleep lately because there's too much <laughs> on my mind. But no, it's, um, I mean, I dream about Florida finding a balance. Like I, I cross between the two Floridas more than most. You know, this morning I was on a cattle ranch at sunrise on the side of Horse Creek. And then I drive through Lakewood Ranch to the edge of the, um, kind of retail sprawl that is pushing out everywhere across this country and then you know transition here into Tampa and there's Florida's made up of these different worlds that are all connected but disconnected and we have to find a balance because if we don't protect the wildlife corridor we're not going to have the water and the clean air and the quality of life not to mention amazing animals like the panther and black bear that deserve to have a chance to exist. Well, uh, Carlton Ward Jr., thank you so much for your time today. Carlton Ward is a National Geographic conservation photographer whose work is the center of a new movie called Path of the Panther. Saw release uh, across the country, right? Last, last, uh, last month, it's screening three times at Lakeland's Polk Theater this weekend, including one Saturday 7.30 screening where Carlton will be there with the director and producer, Eric Bendick, uh, for a panel. Carlton Ward on Instagram, uh, pathofthepanther.com. Um, and um, this has been The Skinny on WNF Tampa. Thank you so much for joining us, Carlton. It's really cool to meet you. Thank you for your work. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, guys. And you've been listening to WNF Tampa. This is Ray Roa. Ben Montgomery. Ben Montgomery's here. Mitch Perry with the Florida Phoenix is busy in the state capitol with whatever they got going on um, up What's there. Going on? I don't know. Something's going on up there. Making laws or something like that. <laughs> um, and we'll see you next week.